The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus said to his disciples, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. Amen, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or the smallest part of a letter will pass from the law until all things have taken place. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do so will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever obeys and teaches these commandments will be called greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to your ancestors, You shall not kill, and whoever kills will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, whoever whoever is angry with brother will be liable to judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, will be answerable to the Sanhedrin. And whoever says, You fool, will be liable to fiery Gehenna. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there recall that your brother has anything against you, leave your gift there at the altar. Go first to be reconciled with your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Settle with your opponent quickly while on the way to court. Otherwise, your opponent will hand you over to the judge, and the judge will hand you over to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Amen, I say to you, you will not be released until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said you should not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than to have your whole body thrown into Gehenna. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than to have your whole body go into Gehenna. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a bill of divorce. But I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, unless the marriage is unlawful, causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to your ancestors, do not take a false oath, but make good to the Lord all that you vow. But I say to you, do not swear at all. Not by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, for you cannot make a single hair white or black. Let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no. Anything more is from the evil one. The Gospel of the Lord. If you choose, you can keep the commandments. So says our first reading for us today. If you choose. Last weekend we reflected on that reality that the Lord invites us to be who we are called to be. Indeed, as who He created us to be. To be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. To choose to be salt. To choose to be light. To choose to follow the commandments. Indeed, ultimately, most of our Christian life ultimately comes down to 
our choices. Adam and Eve faced the particular choice that determined the whole thing of the rest of the creation. Adam and Eve, having received all the goodness of God, having received so many blessings, received one thing that they were not to do, to eat of the tree in the center of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God said, if you eat of that tree, you will die. And certainly the day comes, as we know, when the devil comes to tempt them. And he says, did God really say that you will die? Surely you won't die, huh? Can't be that bad. And the devil speaks into their ear and they hear it. They hear the voice of the evil one and he comes up and it resonates in their hearts and they choose to break the commandment of God. They choose not to keep the Lord's will. And in doing so, they choose for all of humanity to be broken by sin. Every human heart, excepting those of Jesus and Mary, have since that time been plagued by the same struggle. St. Paul would describe it as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, the triple concupiscence. It was this recognition of this desire to attain the things that are pleasurable in this world, to be able to take that which is not properly ours, and to be able to exalt ourselves. And all three of those lusts of the heart, Adam and Eve fell to, and so do we. And the church in her wisdom, just like a good mother, knows exactly how to respond to us with the proper remedy. And the remedy is, as we know from the Lenten season that we hear each year, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. The lust of the flesh, the desire to experience the pleasures of this world, to that the church responds and invites us to fast, to give up something from time to time, and so to gain something even greater. The lust of the eyes, that desire to amass things for ourselves, an implicit lack of trust in the Lord God who says he will provide for us. For that thing, the church invites us to almsgiving. Rather than trying to take to receive, the church invites us to be generous in giving. And lastly, the pride of life, the desire to exalt ourselves, the church responds and acknowledges that the remedy to that is prayer, where we find that we are reliant upon our God for everything, even the breath that we, that we take next comes as a gift from our God. And so the church invites us to reflect upon these, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Oftentimes when it comes to the Lenten season, we pick one and we use that for our Lenten, our Lenten practice for the particular year. We're going we're gonna to abstain from, from sweets or from Cokes or from, uh, from whatever it is that we choose that year. Or maybe, maybe we decide this year we're going to focus on prayer, we're going to spend a little more time in prayer. Or maybe we want to be a little more generous this year. We're going to put some food in the, uh, in the food basket to be able to give to the food pantry. Or we're going to you know, do the, the rice bowl program or some of these other ways in which we can express our generosity and give alms uh, to others and to the Lord. And all of those are good things. But the church in her wisdom invites us not to pick one, but indeed to pick all three and to practice something of each of them throughout the course of the Lenten season and indeed through the year. When I was in the seminary, a friend of mine, a few friends of mine, had gone and run a half marathon and I wanted it on the fun. And so I decided to train with them for the next one. And so we began, I began to, to go out with them as we would go on our weekly runs. 
Uh, we go three, four, five times a week and, and jog around the city. And ultimately, the race day came, and we went, and we ran our race. We were chugging along, and about mile 11, I started to know my foot, and my right foot was really hurting. About my mile 12, I was limping along. By mile 13, I could barely walk on it, and I knew something was wrong. And come to find out, the next day, I went to the doctor, and I had a, a stress fracture uh, that I just kept running on, so it kept getting more and more broken. And the doctor looked at me, and he's like, well... Part of the problem is your training. He says, if you want to do this more than once, if you want to be more than just a one-and-done runner, if you want to, to be able to, to do this and to run marathons or half marathons into your 40, 50, 60, or beyond, you need to not just run. You need to bike, and you need to swim. Train like a triathlete, because your body will become more adaptive that way. Certainly, you'll be strengthened in various ways, but your body reacts differently. If you only do the same thing over and over, you can actually become weaker, and that's why you broke your foot. And the church, in her wisdom, invites us to the same. Can we pick one and it be fruitful? Yeah. But it's even more fruitful, and in fact, easier, if we do three. To pick something of each, and to give ourselves to that in the Lord. And so to reflect today on the first of those, the gift of fasting. What is fasting? If we're fasting to be able to lose weight, we're not fasting, we're dieting. If we're fasting because we just don't have any food, we're not fasting, we're starving. If we're fasting because we just weren't hungry, so we're going to skip the meal, we're not fasting, we're just not hungry. Those are not fasting. Those are just things that happen to be circumstances of the day taken upon us. But rather, fasting is to intentionally choose to give up something so that we might be able to gain something even greater. Not a slimmer waistline, but a stronger spirit. And that's the gift of fasting. Is the reality of fasting as it unites us to Jesus Christ whether it's fasting particularly and, and forsaking some particular uh, meal or, or, uh, or going on a, a stricter kind of regimen of things, or if it's just simply abstaining, to abstain from meat or something of the sort. To do those things unites us to the cross. And the cross has power. Remember the story of how Jesus goes and he gives the disciples the charge to go forth and to be able to... to Basically to prepare the way. He sends them out two by two ahead of him. And they go and they come back to him and they're marveling at the things that have happened through their hands and through their prayers. Lord, people were healed. The deaf can hear on account of us. We cast out demons, Jesus. It was incredible. You should have seen it. And they marveled at the ways in which God was working through them. Powerful ways. And yet there came a day in which they came upon an individual who was possessed by a demon. And they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and the demon would not leave the individual. And in, in exasperation, they go to the Lord, and they go, we, we've done everything you said. We've done everything that we know how to do. We've prayed every prayer that we can to free them from the demon. What are we missing? And the Lord Jesus looked at them, and he said, this kind is only cast out by prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. Because again, fasting unites us to the cross. And the cross is the sign of victory of Christ. 
from which the demons flee. They fly from the cross because they hate it. And to the extent that we unite ourselves to the cross of Jesus Christ, to the extent that we forsake something even for a short time, to go without a single meal for love of Jesus, to go without meat for a day for love of Jesus, to abstain or to fast from technology for a day for love of Jesus, whatever it is for love of Jesus, if we do those things and unite ourselves to Christ, not just as a way to to get things in this world, to lose weight or whatever, but to use them as spiritual tools to rely upon God to the extent that our flesh struggles a bit, our spirit grows stronger. And that's the reality, is the invitation to grow strong in the Holy Spirit, to fight the temptations of the evil one, and indeed to have him flee from us. It can be tempting to to not fast, to be able to abstain from those things from which we ought to abstain. And yet the Lord invites us to do so and to do for joyfully and boldly. St. Peter in his frustration in the scriptures, we can always rely on Peter for an honest answer. St. Peter, as he's, as he's going through the, 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 the journey of discipleship with Christ, he's looking around and he's seeing that he's given up everything. I mean, he left his family behind. He left his business. They didn't have job insurance. He wasn't, he wasn't banking on anything else. He left everything behind. And he looks at the Lord one day and he says, what am I going to get? If I give up these things, what? what? What's the payoff? What's the end goal? How do I come out? Do I just lose? And Lord Jesus assures him that whoever gives up anything for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the spread of the gospel, will have so a hundredfold in this life and in the next. We'll be repaid in a way even greater than we can understand. More than we can have asked, more than we could have even tried to take for ourselves, the Lord will grant us these things freely and joyfully. Two days a year, the church requires us to fast. On Ash Wednesday and on Good Friday. Regrettably, one of those days is also a day which has become a recent tradition to have a crawfish boil. If your family tradition is to have a crawfish boil on Friday, on Good Friday, stop. Wait two more days and celebrate Easter. Because to have five pounds of crawfish or ten pounds of crawfish and a six-pack of beer is not fasting. That's feasting. If you consider that a fast, we really need to talk about your food regimen. Two days a year, the church requires us to fast. An extra five or six days, the church requires us to abstain from meat by law during the Lenten season as a, as a, strict, uh, a strict reality. But also, the church invites us to a little bit more, indeed requires it of us. Some of you may recall a time when the church uh, said that we were not permitted to eat meat on any Friday of the year. Every Friday was a day of abstaining from meat. During all the the course of liturgical changes and various other changes in our Catholic faith in the 60s and 70s, it seems that that practice was tossed out the window. But the reality is, it still applies. And that's still the law that the church advises to us. 
although we may not hear about it very much, is still something that is actually in force. What took place, rather than having a universal thing that says everyone, every Catholic across the globe must abstain from meat on Fridays, they said, well, leave it to the individual conference of bishops in a land where you live. So for us, the United States Conference of Bishops, back in the 70s, they gathered together and they discussed the topic and they prayed about it. And they said, on Fridays, we're going to still encourage our Catholics to abstain from meat every Friday. But if the occasion arises where they do eat meat for some, for some reason, they should, should, not could, should take up another penance in its place to offer some other practice. Maybe to pray the rosary that day, to spend some time in prayer, to offer a divine mercy chaplet, to do an extra act of service for someone else, a corporal or spiritual work of mercy. That's still the expectation of the bishops for us, is that we would live a life of penance. We don't have to be walking around in sackcloth and ashes and all frowny faces all the time. Indeed, the Lord says quite the opposite. But it's an invitation for us to continually, not for a short time, but for every year, every week, to unite ourselves to the cross of Jesus and giving up something and fasting or abstaining. Because ultimately we know that in the end, in the big, big picture, it will be absolutely worth it. Because we will be able to see that place which no eye sees, to hear in that place where no eye is heard, and to understand what St. Paul tells us, the idea of which has never even entered the human heart of the richness of what God has in store for us. My brothers and sisters, heaven awaits, and for that we fast.